Our scripture reading today comes from Romans 8, 14 through 27. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. I'm Tom. Welcome to the Lima campus. And for those of you who are online, welcome. Well, the world stood in awe and maybe stunned silence as the greatest Olympic gymnast of all time withdrew from competition in the latest Olympics. Simone Biles is well known around the world, and it is stunning for us to think that even the best of the best can hit the wall. They simply find themselves in a place where they cannot go on one more step. In an NPR interview, Simone Biles described it this way. Listen to how she describes it. The mental is just not there for me. It's been really stressful, this Olympic Games. I think just as a whole and not having an audience, there are a lot of variables going into it. It's been a long, long week. It's been a long, long Olympic process. It's been a long, long year. It's not just athletes that hit the physical or mental or emotional wall. Many of us also hit the wall in our life. We may be overwhelmed with life circumstances, stressed out, exhausted, discouraged, grief-stricken, and we can feel like we simply cannot go on that we don't have energy or strength to take one more step. In the season of COVID, life at home, at work, at school, continues to be a very long, long, hard slog. And many of us are tired and exhausted. I was in a meeting this past week uh, with some colleagues, and we were trying to do some future planning. And uh, one of my colleagues 
expressed verbally what everybody was feeling around that conference table. He blurted out, I hate COVID. We all nodded our head. Because many apprentices of Jesus also find themselves hitting a wall. Not just in life, but in their walk of faith. Feeling like they simply cannot go on. Often it is struggles with gnawing doubts in our soul, unsettling questions, unanswered prayers, God-seeming distance, or haunting silence. And the realization that your spiritual formation and mine in greater Christ-likeness seems insufferably slow. More like taking two steps forward and one step back. I have been there in my journey of faith. I have hit the wall too. And hitting the wall has been described by Christians throughout the centuries. One of the best is a 16th century Spanish mystic, St. John of the Cross, who described these realities in any Christian faith journey as the dark night of the soul. He describes it this way, the fear which they have of having been lost on the road, thinking all spiritual blessing is over for them and that God has abandoned them since they now find no help or pleasure in anything. St. John of the Cross expresses in such a transparent way, doesn't he? This disorienting sense of lostness, this haunting feeling of abandonment, this confusing kind of numbness of the soul, an overwhelming sense you simply cannot go on anymore. Have you been there? Maybe you're there today. Instead of telling your best friends you're great. Maybe that's where you are in your walk of faith. So where do you go when you feel like you simply can't go on. In his masterful letter to the Romans, chapter 7, the Apostle Paul describes the rugged terrain of authentic faith, and with it, the conflicted internal struggles of that faith. Yes, those dark nights of the soul. So where do we go when we feel like we can't go on? In chapter 8 of Romans, Paul's hopeful answer is summarized in two words, the Spirit, the Spirit. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Now, as a church family across our campuses, we are in a message series on the Holy Spirit. Last week here at Leewood, Pastor Andrew focused our attention on Jesus' teaching of the Holy Spirit, and we learned that the Holy Spirit is a friend like no other who will never walk out on us. What Jesus declares to his disciples in that upper room, Paul now will affirm in a more expanded, very down-to-earth way in our text this morning. Paul will emphasize a transforming truth, and that is this. The Holy Spirit is there for you like no one else is ever there for you. In verses 14 through 27, Paul will offer in sequential logic in literary crescendo, three encouraging ways the Holy Spirit is there for you like no one else as an apprentice of Jesus. Paul will say, as you are following along and following the flow of the text, first, the Holy Spirit 
is there reminding you that you are dearly loved. He reminds you you're dearly loved. Secondly, the Holy Spirit helps us to wait hopefully. And third, the Holy Spirit prays for us continually. So let's jump in. This is the flow of the text. The first encouragement for us is the Spirit reminds us we are loved dearly. Look at verses 15 through 17. Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, if you look at the context, Paul begins this chapter, chapter 8, verse 1, reminding his readers that because of the good news of the gospel, we are no longer alienated from God. Instead, he presses in in verses 15 through 17 that we are now part of God's family. Well, keep that in mind because Paul will enlist first another metaphor of family. It is the metaphor of adoption. And it brings to us this familial status we now enjoy as apprentices of Jesus. The metaphor of adoption is important to grasp because it connotes not merely a love of obligation, but a love of choice. That God has chosen you and me to be the object of his amazing love and welcome you and me to be part of his eternal family. Now think about that for a moment. Let it sink in. The God of the universe, Paul says, loves you. As an individual, he loves you. He loves you unconditionally, completely, unfailingly, tenderly, dearly. You are the object of his great affection. Now, we get that glimpse, perhaps, in the familial way. One of the favorite things I love to do is to watch newborn parents or new new grandparents hold that new baby in their arms. There's something extraordinarily awesome about that love, and that is the picture that Paul begins to paint on the pages of inspired text. Now, notice with me in verse 16 that the Spirit not only is instrumental in making us children of God, the Holy Spirit also, notice what the text says, bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. What does that mean? That means that continually the Holy Spirit makes us aware that we belong to God. We are God's children. We are dearly loved by Him. And pressing more into this adoption metaphor, Paul paints the picture of what is now, but what will be later. This is often described by theologians as the already not fully yet moment in redemptive history, the parentheses of time we are now in. Now think with me for a moment. In the first century, this was true. And in the 21st century, this is also true. That when a child enters the family they already, in a sense, are inheritors of that family, right? That was true in the first century and today in estate planning. Our children do not receive their inheritance fully until they are of a particular age, right? This is the sense Paul is giving us. As adopted children, right, our children are already have an inheritance, but their names are written in an estate document for sure, but they don't have access to their inheritance fully yet. Paul says that's the same kind of dynamic here. We are God's dearly loved children. We are heirs with Christ. But the fullness of what that ultimately means is yet in the future. In the meantime, though, 
Now, our journey of faith, Paul is very much the realist, is a rugged one with a steep terrain. And we must keep in mind, Paul says, that a great reward awaits us. In other words, if we understand the flow of the whole Bible story, which this emerges, the sin-cursed garden of Genesis chapter 3 will be eclipsed one day by the new heavens and earth promised to us in Revelation chapter 21, which is the end of the Bible. That will be glorious, of course, but we are frail and fragile creatures, and we are in the process of embarking on a very difficult and rugged path of faith. And there will be times, if you're a newer Christian, maybe you haven't experienced it, if you've been a Christian for a while, you, I can almost guarantee it. There will be times when you feel like you cannot go on in your faith, where you hit the wall, where you are ready to quit, where you're ready to throw in the towel. And Paul's hopeful answer here is important for us because we need to be continually encouraged in our new identity in Christ, to be regularly reminded of who we are, whose we are, of how very much we are deeply loved and the glorious future that awaits us. The Holy Spirit is there for us doing that very thing. This is Paul's point. And Jesus made this point also. He said one of the main works of the Spirit is to bring to remembrance what I taught you, John chapter 14, verse 26. The Holy Spirit reminds us wherever we are, whatever day it is, whatever our circumstance, that we are God's children. So instead of being afraid, we can experience the tender love of God, that secure peace that it brings to us. The Spirit is there with us. He's reminding us, you are deeply loved. And He woos us to deeper intimacy with Jesus. But let's not forget the biblical story also tells us the evil one's presence. The evil one is present also in our midst. And we must not forget we live, work, and play in the midst of a fierce cosmic battle. And our deceitful adversary will do everything he can to convince you and me that either God is not good or that God does not have your best interest in mind. That God doesn't truly really love you. That you do not really matter. That you do not really belong. Like Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, the Holy Spirit is there for you too to counter any satanic attack. Now, we live in a very noisy world, don't we? And the question, I think, emerging here is what voice or voices are we listening to? Are we listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit reminding of us how dearly we are loved by God? Or are we listening to the evil one's voice shaming us on how we do not measure up, how unworthy we are? And for many of us, we need to slow down rather than get more busy. To slow down, to quiet our hearts, to tune our hearts to hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit and His reassurance how very much God loves you and delights in you, in you. And one of the best ways to tune your hearts to the reassuring voice of the Holy Spirit is to memorize passages of Scripture that speak of how you are so deeply and dearly loved. When I find myself facing very stressful and difficult circumstances in my life, when discouragement or doubt is smothering me, when I feel I don't measure up, when my failures threaten to suffocate my soul, in those moments when I feel I cannot go on, 
I bring to mind the Spirit's voice in Holy Scripture. And one of my favorite texts is Jeremiah 31.3, where God declares, I have loved you. This is that affectionate love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I also bring to mind and reflect on Psalm 23, reminding me that the Lord is my shepherd. He's your shepherd too. He's always with you. We hear the Spirit's voice as we memorize and meditate on Holy Scripture that reminds us in the midst of a rugged train of faith that God tenderly loves you. Now, as important as other Christian friends are, and Christian community is vital in your walk of faith to get you through the wall when you hit it, and you will hit it. The Holy Spirit is there first and foremost, like no one else is there for you. Paul wants us to grab that in heart and mind. The Spirit reminds us we are loved dearly. But secondly, he also helps us wait hopefully on this steep terrain of faith. This is found in verses 18 to 25. You know, it's a memory I will never forget. It's one of those life memories standing on top of Mount Holy Cross. See that top rep there? In the Colorado Rockies, 14,011 feet on that geological marker when you stand on the summit. Now, the expansive view, if you've done a 14er, is unbelievable. It's nothing like I've ever seen before. The horizon goes out like eternity. But as glorious as that was, let me tell you about the climb. <laughs> the climb was brutal. It took several hours, and as a flatlander, there were many times, many times I simply wanted to stop and quit. I just wondered if I could ever go on, right? I wondered, would it be worth it to stand on top of that monster? But once I got to the top, once I stood at that very top where that geological marker says 14,011 feet, my frame of mind, body, soul, and spirit completely changed. There was this incredible sense of exhilaration that transcends any words. But the spirit of it was, the long climb was worth it. In fact, on the way down, I encounter, especially as you get into the boulder field, you know, about 12,000 feet, you can't breathe there either. Other hikers struggling, gasping for air, wanting to quit. What did I tell them? Keep going, it's worth it. This is Paul's heart. This is exactly what Paul is doing. The exhilaration as he gives us a glimpse of the summit of the Christian faith, the glory there that awaits us is indescribable. He looks to the glorious, awe-inspiring summit of the Christian faith and he says, it's worth the climb. The climb is difficult, no doubt. And you feel the difficulty in verses 18 to 25 here. Paul repeatedly captures the difficulty. What he describes repeatedly, notice the word groaning. And this groaning is juxtaposed with glory. The glory of a one day, future, getting to the mountaintop. And Paul gives us a sneak peek into this glorious, hope-filled future that awaits us on the path of discipleship. But the path of discipleship means carrying our cross, taking his yoke, and following in the suffering footsteps of Jesus. 
But the good news is we don't climb the mountain of faith alone. There within us and right beside us, before us and behind us is the one who is always there with us. And the Spirit gives us needed doses of encouragement and life-giving hope and an eternal perspective along the way. And you and I can finish the race well. Not because we're so strong or smart or disciplined. But Paul says because the Spirit is with us. The path of Christian discipleship is difficult. And like climbing a mountain, the hardest times are when you get near the end. But Paul says it's worth the climb. And he gives us these hopeful words in verse 18. Do you see this? For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Notice how Paul makes a hope-filled comparison that ironically, this is dripping with irony, is incomparable. Suffering now, yeah, but glory later. As hard as the journey of faith is now, the future will be so grand, Paul says, there's simply no comparison. Eugene Peterson, in his message, says it brilliantly. He says, the created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Capturing this hopeful and life-giving perspective, notice how Paul will use two familial metaphors. Do you see that in the text? He repeats the adoption metaphor, but he presses into another metaphor, the metaphor of childbirth, and brings out the vivid comparison of the groaning now and the glory later. Look at me at verses 22 and 23. Paul says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons or daughters, the redemption of our bodies. Now, admittedly, you probably guessed, looking at me, I have not personally felt the pain of childbirth. But vicariously, I have, y'all. And that's in the birth of our two children. I mean, Liz and I went to birthing classes. I was supposed to be a good coach. I wasn't, but I was there. <laughs> but an amazing thing happened. Once Schaefer and Sarah were born, you know this if you've experienced this, the difficulty and pain of the birth process vanished. It was eclipsed by the greater joy of holding these precious little miracles in our hands. This is the picture Paul gives us. On the difficult path of faith, all the groaning of being a disciple of Jesus and the suffering path, Paul wants us to anticipate this indescribable joy. Because properly understood, the Christian faith is a journey from groaning to glory. It is a long obedience in the same direction with glory at the end. That's the picture Paul gives us. But even as Paul gives us this inspiring glimpse of the summit of mountaintop faith, Paul is a hopeful realist. Paul doesn't minimize all the painful groaning here and now. Do you hear it? Do you see it? Do you see the repetition? Do you feel it? In verses 18 through 27, there's just a whole lot of groaning going on. Fallen creation is groaning. Do you see that? A fall, as fallen image bearers, we are groaning. And then in verse 26, God the Holy Spirit is groaning which is jaw-dropping when you think about it. We not only have a God who has wounds, we have a God who groans with us. 
longing. It's not just a groan of lament, it is part of that, but a longing, an anticipation of what will be, that the world will be made right again. Paul's repeated use of groaning here is not abstract. It's not some theological, you know, existential longing. It's very visceral. It's how we experience life, isn't it? It's how our dog experiences life. Harley is our 100-pounder, affectionate, fuzzball, just filled with love, right? But listen, I chuckle because most of the time when he sits a 100-pound big body down, he goes, ugh, he groans. But not only do our dogs groan, we all do this, don't we? When our favorite gymnast falls off the beam, we groan. And I hope we don't groan today. But we do groan when Travis Kelsey drops a Patrick Mahomes pass third down in the red zone. We groan, right? We may curse too, but we groan. <laughs> we groan in the classrooms, don't we, students? When teacher hands out a surprise quiz or grades us unfairly, we groan in our workplaces on Monday with the frustration of an employer, a boss, the interruptions in a global supply chain, the difficulty of getting enough workers, planning in a pandemic, or dealing with another angry, frustrated customer. And we groan in the midst of our brokenness and the brokenness of our world, and we're reminded in our favorite newsfeed of the injustice and suffering of our time. In our Monday worlds, one of the things you and I need most is regular infusions of spirit, encouragement, and hope. And the good news is the spirit who is always there for us brings hope and encouragement to us at the moment we need it most. He's always there for us. Paul speaks of this life-giving hope the spirit makes available to us as we journey to the new heavens and new earth. Look at me at verses 24 and 25. This is highly unusual. Paul lists hope five times. Listen, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. This hope is beyond our physical senses. It's placed in the conduit of faith. And notice what Paul does. Do you see it? Paul connects our capacity to wait well with our ability to hope well. They are connected. And isn't it true, one of the hardest things in our life is to wait, especially with computers and smartphones. Imagine a long, long wait is super, super hard. But Paul says if we hope well, we can wait well, even for a long time. So what does Paul mean by hope? This is what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean wishful thinking, like throwing a Hail Mary pass. He means an eager expectation of confidence. And it is built, notice where Paul gets it, chapter 8, verse 11 earlier, around the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus, which tethers his life to hope, an empty grave. So let me ask you, what hardships, what difficulties, what discouragements, what fears are you facing right now in your life? Think with me for a moment. Your work may be really hard right now. Maybe you are in a difficult and disappointing relationship. Maybe you're feeling very fearful these days, anxious, weary, hopeless. And perhaps you're really lonely. 
and you feel like you don't belong anywhere. Romans chapter 8 is just for you. For we are reminded that the Holy Spirit loves you more than you can ever fathom or imagine. The Holy Spirit gets you like no one else gets you. The Holy Spirit knows what's coming in your life. He knows what you're going through. He loves you beyond measure. This is what God's Word declares. And our souls need hope like our bodies need oxygen. And we all need just a ton of hope right now. So where are we looking for it? Paul says, hope is there. It's found in the triune God, the ultimate source of hope. Is your hope tethered to Christ? Have you in repentance and faith placed your trust in Jesus as your personal Lord and risen Savior? That's where true hope begins. Paul says, the Spirit first reminds us we are dearly loved. Spirit helps us to wait hopefully, but notice where he goes. This is stunning. The Holy Spirit prays for us, for you, continually. Look with me at verses 26 to 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes or advocates for the saints according to the will of God. Paul wants us to grasp that the Spirit is always there to help us, to come to our aid in times of need. He is our helper. And here the focus in verses 26 and 27 is this mysterious reality of how the Holy Spirit helps you and I to pray when we do not know what to say. Boy, that's true in my life. Yet the Holy Spirit prays for us continually. Do we grasp that? And the idea here of groaning, the language of the Spirit's groaning, it's not really an allusion to tongues or some personal prayer language. It, the better interpretation of the grammar and context is that the Holy Spirit is communicating in a mysterious way some divine communication in the Trinity. The main point here is that intercessions of the Spirit, think about this, are to us mysteriously offered to the Father and the Son when the Christian prays. Wow. Don't miss that game-changing truth. Paul is asserting here in verses 26 and 27 that the greatest prayer warrior in your life is the Holy Spirit. And his greatest intercessory work is when you feel the most hopeless, when you struggle to pray the most, when you feel far away from God the most, when you hit the wall of faith, you can be confident that the Spirit is with you in you, if you're a Christian, and praying for you and has your back. He is your, he is your intercessor, your advocate. As a child of the triune God, think with me for a moment. He loves you dearly and delights in you, even when you fail, even when you doubt, even when you feel all alone, even when you lose perspective, even when you're terribly afraid and you're terribly anxious. Nothing can separate you from his caring presence, his passionate prayer, and his unconditional love. Nothing. If you struggle with prayer at times like I do, perhaps one of the greatest motivations to keep praying and not grow weary in your prayers is knowing you never pray alone. Do you realize that prayer is never a solitary enterprise? The Spirit prays with us and for us. 
And the Spirit of God doesn't just make a divine appeal. He woos us to deeper intimacy with Jesus. So Paul reminds us, the Spirit is your greatest prayer warrior. And because of that, because of the Spirit's constant presence, Paul says, it can be well with your soul no matter what you face, no matter when you hit the wall. This was the hope-filled testimony of Horatio Spafford, who lost his three daughters in a shipwreck, and he traveled on a ship where his daughters had been swallowed up at that spot by a tumultuous sea. Can you imagine a heartbroken, grieving, and groaning Spafford who looked to the glory that was coming, and he penned these words that have become one of the greatest treasures of Christian hymnody. And Lord, haste the day when faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Even when life overwhelms you, when you face a great loss, when faith is elusive to you, even if you hit the wall, even when you feel you cannot go on, it can be well with your soul. The Holy Spirit is there for you like no one else is there for you. He is groaning with you, but he's also guiding you to glory. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us, we pray. Remind us, each of us, in a unique way that we are loved dearly. Help us to wait hopefully. And may we realize that you pray for us continually, that it may be well with our souls. Amen.